0: We're continuing our study of the book of Ruth, and we are in chapter 2 today, and uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ruth chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and this is a portion of Scripture that talks about this idea that we can find favor in the Lord's eyes, and we see an example of this in um, In the story and how it unfolds here. So again, Ruth chapter 2, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. We thank you, Lord, that that you give us your guidance and that you give us encouragement as we look at portions of Scripture like this. When We have the privilege to observe the lives of people who lived many generations before us and we realize that the things that they wrestled with and the things that they struggled with are exactly the same things that we wrestle with right here and right now. Lord, as we look at some of these things unfolding as this book continues and we see this journey that you have Ruth and those that surround her, that you have this journey that you, you've placed them on and we're watching as your hand is guiding and directing them. Lord, it's fascinating to see how you always come through for your people. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of scripture together, that we'd understand more about your nature and specifically about this idea of what it means to find favor in your eyes, because that's something that you clearly illustrate in this passage of Scripture. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to be able to look at this together now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, last week, first of all, you know, I, I, if, uh, if Dan uh, Marzari is listening to today's message, I just want to say thank you to him. For filling in for me last week. Many of you know that last week our family had the opportunity to take a little time, spend a, a few days off the grid. I'll, I'll tell you what we do. Several times a year we have a, a habit where we uh, will just go on Airbnb and we'll kind of pick an area and uh, usually it's the same area, usually it's just either somewhere in the Poconos or the Lehigh Valley or something like that, and we'll rent a cabin, and we'll try and pick something that's basically out in the middle of the woods, because the idea is that we spend time together and we spend time off the grid, so we did not have internet access where we were, and even, and our phones mostly didn't work. Strangely, they only worked like past 11 o'clock at night. It was really weird. At 11 o'clock at night, we'd all check our emails and everything else, but it didn't work the rest of the day. It was kind of entertaining. And very hard to wean yourself off of when you're used to having some sort of access like that. But we'll just take day trips like this. We do this a couple times a year as a family, and we just go to some of our favorite places. Now, it won't surprise anyone that, that one of those favorite places wasn't too far from, uh, from this cabin. And so we're like, all right, do we go? Do we not go? And I almost feel like I, I need permission from the church at this point to tell yet another Knoebels story. So if I don't have that permission... All right, your faces look very friendly, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the liberty to do it. I think I think at least for a few months this is going to be a pause. By the way, some of you that are are new with us here, I'm just gonna apologize straight up front. All right, there's a few things I I like in this world, and if I like something, I talk about it way too much. I know that that is a habit in lots of areas of my life, and one of the things that unfortunately our church family has had to hear that I am hyper fond of. Is a small amusement park in uh, in central Pennsylvania called Kenobles, and our family has gone there ever since our kids are were little. It's kind of a special place to us. Place that um, you know we've taken a lot of family trips, have a lot of fun memories there with family members, including family members that are with the Lord now. And so, during the summer. Just to give you a tiny bit of background, during this summer, just as a a daddy-daughter adventure, my daughter and I, my 16-year-old daughter and I, we decided that we would take one day a week and volunteer. Basically, they did pay us, but when you fact when you factor in uh, when you factor in the travel and the tolls, it was essentially volunteering. Um, But we we uh, gave a day each week, Mondays, during the course of the summer. To Kenobles to be ride operators. So we did that 13 Mondays in the summer, serving as ride operators as, at Knobles. And in, in the process of doing that, you meet a lot of people. We made a lot of new friends there, got to know some of our co workers on a deeper level. It was a wonderful adventure this summer. Well, this past week, since our cabin was nearby there, we decided hey, Let's take Saturday and go to the park. The park's still open for a few more weeks. Let's go to the park on Saturday. So on Saturday, while we were at the park, we made a point to go and visit, and we wanted to specifically visit some of the people that we worked with during the course of the summer so that we could say hello. And I have to tell you, and I've been to that park many, many times, and now I've worked there a whole bunch of times, and that park was busier than I'd ever seen. It was almost wall-to-wall people or elbow-to-elbow people, the whole park. It was busier than I'd ever seen. We were able to find a few of our coworkers, a few of our friends at their station, so we went over. We said hi to them. And then at the very end of the night, this was very interesting to me, especially with like what a big deal that place has been to me and, and to my family, but at the very end of the night, we ran into the supervisor who hired us. Now, he thought it was very strange that we wanted to drive as far as we drove one day a week. So who applies for a job that you're only saying one day a week, and I also want to have a five-hour drive that day uh, to get here, all right? So it's not a logical request that he received from us, but he took a chance on us, and we uh, ran into him at the very end of the night, and what he was doing was he was walking through the park. Uh, he has a higher position there in the office, and he was going through the park, and he, was, he had a, a walkie-talkie on, and he was, he was waiting for 10 o'clock to come so that he could send the notice via the walkie-talkie to all the ride operators and other supervisors to let them know that now was time to begin shutting down the rides. And while he was waiting to send that message out, we talked with him, and we were joking with him. We became friends with him during the course of the summer. He chatted with us for a little bit. And he said something that caused me to realize that my relationship with the park and my relationship with the people who run that park has changed in a major way because of what took place this summer of my daughter and I working there with them. When he learned that we had been enjoying the park all day, enjoying the good food, food's so good, I can still taste it, my garlic butter bacon burger. Remember those four words. If you go there, all right, I'll tell you where to get it. It's really, really good. Uh, But when he learned that we had been enjoying the park all day, eating food, riding the rides, he said, oh, John, he said, I wish I knew ahead of time you were coming. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you could have just stopped at my office and I could have given you passes to ride everything for free. He's like, I'm going to be sending you something in the mail so you come up for the Christmas time and you can do all that stuff for free. He's like, "I, I, I got you. And in, in my mind, I'm like, this is our relationship now, <laughs> as, this, as this was happening? It felt, I have to tell you, like, it felt kind of special to see the people who run this park that we so deeply love now know me by name and be like, oh yeah, you don't, don't, you don't have to pay for this stuff anymore, just like come up here to the office, we got you. And I was like, what? How did life get so good? That was a very special moment, and I tried to kind of like play it down like, oh, that's very thoughtful. And here's the thing, I'm not even going to ask for it. I'm really not going to ask for that when I go there. But that's a level of favor that I have never experienced in that context before, and I was very grateful. And I'd still like all throughout the week, I I thought to myself, wow, like they know who we are and would offer something like that. And I'm just curious, like I I, obviously I was thinking a lot about that this week in, in light of the scripture we're looking at today. But I'm just curious if you've ever experienced something similar that, that felt welcomed, like a form of favor that you've received that felt welcome, but in the back of your mind, you know, it's not necessarily deserved, but it's certainly nice. Do you ever experience something like that? Just like a form of favor that, that someone in your life has chosen to show you, maybe an employer, maybe. Um, you know, sometime you just go to a store. Remember one time I went to Home Depot and they goofed my paint up a little bit, but then made me up a new one and gave it to me for free. And I was like, what have I done to deserve this favor, right? And like now and then in life, you have moments like that where you experience some favor and you're thinking, all right, I, I, I'm welcoming this, but I know I don't deserve this. It's certainly a nice thing to experience, but I know I didn't earn it. And I think in a very real way, the nature of our relationship with God It involves a reception of divine favor from him toward us that when we look at it, we have to acknowledge we don't deserve this. He's so good to us in ways that we do not deserve. We're being blessed because of work that Jesus has done on our behalf. We're being shown favor by God the Father through our union with Christ. And it's an amazing reality to attempt to try to under understand or comprehend it's a concept that that the Lord goes to great lengths to illustrate in a variety of ways throughout the scriptures including the scripture that we're looking at together today from Ruth chapter 2 we see a powerful example of the favor of God in this particular chapter now in the verses that i just read in Ruth 2 starting with verse 1 i read down to verse 13 just a moment ago We're told about a variety of things, and I know that you noticed this as we were working our way through this, but we're told about some of the early experiences that Naomi and Ruth, that they had after returning to Bethlehem, after being in the country of Moab for a little over a decade. Now, during these days, as these women were now in Bethlehem again, and for Ruth, it was the first time. Uh, These women, as they're trying to reestablish their life in a new place, they would have obviously been focused on attempting to get their life established in this community in a very real way, in a very safe way. So you think about the things that they would need to be focused on. They would be focused on tasks like finding shelter. And they'd be focused on tasks like just finding daily sustenance. That'd be high on their list of priorities at that particular time as they're new in Bethlehem after being in Moab. And it appears that they had a place to stay. So that was covered. So the next concern would have been obtaining food. That was the big concern now. All right, obtaining food. Where are we going to get food to eat? We're here in this country. We're here in Bethlehem now. Where are we going to get food to eat? Now, let me say this about our context present day. One of the things that amazes me about life in our country at present, and I want us to just think about this because it's very uncommon, um, one of the things that amazes me about living here in this era of time and in this location is how uncommon and how out of place it feels when we hear of someone going without food. That is not a common thing historically, like when you compare it to how that has worked out. Uh, historically, that's uncommon in our context that people go without food. It certainly happens, but it's more an exception than a rule. Most people in our country, I think it's probably the vast majority of people in our country, have never gone a single day without plenty of food. In our country, it's not only common for the poorest among us to have three meals a day, but I've seen several reports recently that have been talking about the fact that in many cases, obesity is typically a struggle for those who are living in poverty because of the kind of food that they're eating and because provisions are being made for many that, that give them like their calorie consumption with the, the regular food and, and then through snacks and sugary drinks and things like that that actually equivalent to the calorie level of five meals a day. And so you look at that and you say, all right, those that are in poverty in many respects are eating calories that would equate to five meals a day in our context. Historically speaking, that is a very uncommon thing. That is a very strange arrangement that there would be reports being written about that or that that would be a common thing in our context. To my knowledge, that has never occurred in the history of the world. That is a new thing. I don't know of another historical context where something like that has happened, where there's been an obesity problem among the poorest among us. Now, I bring that up by way of contrast because I want to show you something that comes up in this portion of Scripture. At the time that Naomi and Ruth were living, starvation was a very real possibility, and it was actually a very common form of death for the poor, It was very common for the poor to starve to death. The land had recently experienced a famine. When you look back in chapter one, you can see that the land had experienced a famine uh, you know, that went on for some period of time that was fresh in everybody's mind. And I'm guessing that there were probably plenty of people that did not survive that famine. There, you know, probably if you talk to people during that era, they could mention family members or friends or people that they knew, neighbors, acquaintances, People that they worked with, people that they served with, people that they were used to passing on the street that died from starvation. And now that the famine had subsided, so the famine is over, and harvests have have now become more plentiful, it was considered a real blessing to have sufficient food to be able to gather. That's the context that's taking place here in chapter 2. It's a real privilege. This is something that that they had been desiring for a while, but it wasn't like this for a while. But now harvests were plentiful again. It was a real blessing. They have sufficient food. They're able to gather it. And being that it was the time of the barley harvest, that's how chapter one ended, telling us it was the time of the barley harvest, you have Ruth here, and you have Ruth and Naomi. They're brand new in Bethlehem now. And Ruth asks her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asks her for her blessing to go To find a field that's being harvested and to glean among the grain, provided that the landowner would allow her to do so. That's the request she makes of her mother-in-law. So Naomi looks at Ruth and she thinks this over and she says to her, all right, you know what, you have my blessing. Uh, I'll honor this request. You have my blessing to go and do this. And so The scripture then tells us that Ruth was providentially led to the field of Boaz, who shows her great favor as she starts gathering. Now, under the laws of the old covenant, and by the way, and this illustrates the compassionate heart of God in a very very practical way. But this is what the Lord did. This is a provision that the Lord made under the under the old covenant regulations. Our compassionate Lord, first of all, he made various provisions for the care and for the feeding of those who were destitute and for those who were living in poverty. And one of the things that he instructed landowners to do during that particular era, they were instructed to allow the poor to gather grain around the edges of their fields along with anything that was dropped or left behind by the harvesters. They were instructed to allow that to be food for the poor to be able to gather. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, when you look at verses 9 through 10, Let me just read this. And this is interesting. Leviticus is probably the most skipped book of the Bible. You know, people get to Leviticus and they're like, Leviticus, and I'll just skip that one and go to something else, right? And there's some very genuinely interesting things in the book of Leviticus that illustrate a variety of things about God's holiness and also his compassionate heart. And look at how this illustrates just how compassionate our Lord is. In Leviticus 19, starting with verse 9, it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So notice how that statement, how that instruction ends. The Lord saying, hey, do this. And, he, and he, called, he, he uses his name as kind of like the seal to that statement. He says, I am the Lord your God. He said, make sure you provide in this way for the poor among you. Make sure that you provide in this way for the sojourner among you. Give them the opportunity to glean in your fields. Don't harvest right up to the edge. It's the idea of like not trying to consume every last bit. I always think you can tell a lot about a person's character by ordering appetizers at a restaurant. And this is how it works. You have the appetizer, this is a character test. Your child wants to marry someone, do this. Take them out to eat, order appetizers. Put the appetizers, this is bonus by the way. All right, this is bonus. Uh, Put the appetizers right in front of you. Eat and see if they take the last one. That last mozzarella stick, off the list, not marrying my daughter, right? (laughs) right? The last now fried pickles, that's a popular appetizer for our family at least, right? They take the last fried pickle off the list, right? that should, that Who should that go to? Who should the last one go to? Mom or somebody like that, right? Because she sacrifices all the time for you. you, you know. Make sure mom gets that one. You don't take that one. So I'm just saying, it's a character test, and you have the Lord saying, don't, like, don't, When you're harvesting your fields, don't take everything from around the edges. Leave that. Don't go right up to the edge. Leave some space. And if you drop something, don't pick it up. You drop something, leave it there. And don't go through and try and get every last grape and every last kernel of grain or anything like that. That's just greedy. That's just a greedy mindset that doesn't think of others and their needs. Don't be greedy. If the Lord supplied abundantly for you, Find a way to be generous with what the Lord supplies you with. Honestly, you'll glorify Him in the process, you'll help somebody else, and I think you'll feel better about yourself. And so it was under this premise, knowing that that was the law that the Lord had recommended, that the Lord had stated, it was under this premise that Ruth set out to collect some grain that day. But please keep in mind, and this is just like it is right now, that even though the Lord had clearly stated that this was a rule and that this was a way that the poor and the destitute and the sojourner could be su- uh, supplied, you know, food to eat, that even though the Lord had clearly said it, there was no guarantee that a landowner was going to follow it. And it's just like all things in God's Word, right? People can often be selective about what we choose to follow. And all of us have to admit that there are times in our lives that we have been very selective about what we choose to follow. I can look at different things in Scripture and say that I've done a better job of following certain things than other things, because certain things seem easy, and it's what I wanted to do anyway. And then you have the things that aren't really the things that I wanted to do that I have to give a second thought to. And so just like all things, people can be very selective about this, and I think people are particularly selective when it comes to things in Scripture that involve the Lord saying, you know what, I want you to do this, but it's going to cost you something, Because when you find something in scripture where the Lord says, hey, this is is for you to do, this is for you to follow, but it's going to cost you something, I think a lot of times we look at that and we we say, is this a suggestion or a rule? Is this something that's a mandate or is this something that is an option for me to be able to follow? And having just come out of a famine, it wouldn't surprise me to, to learn that some of the landowners of that day would have been quite hesitant to follow this regulation from Leviticus 19 to the letter. I think some of them probably were operating with a mindset of just utter scarcity, where they thought, you know what? What if we have another famine again? What if there's not enough food? You know, we just went through a season where there wasn't enough food. Should I be just giving this away to other people? I'm the one, you know, they could be saying stuff like this. I'm the one that planted it. I'm the one that harvested it. I'm the one, you know, hiring people to to gather it. I'm the one looking after it. I'm the one that made sure that it got the water and the nutrients and everything else that it needed. And you're telling me I'm just supposed to give it away? Yes. Now, in our context, why does the Lord ask us to do things like that? Do you ever wonder about that? I think about that even this, like, when it comes to things like tithing. Our family practices tithing. And you know why I think, in part, the Lord invites us to do things like that? I think for me, it helps me not to idolize his blessings. I think what would happen is if I looked at all that and said, you know what, this is for me, exclusively for me. I worked for it. I earned it. It was my ingenuity. It was my faithfulness to a task. It was this, this, this. I could give a bunch of reasons and just have a very me-centered mindset related to all of it. And all that would confirm to you and to everybody else is, oh, so instead of giving thanks to the Lord for your blessings, you idolize your blessings. So are you trying to find some sort of deep-level satisfaction for your soul through the blessings the Lord gave you, or is He sufficient? And any time you have the opportunity to be generous with anything, with, with giving, with the last mozzarella stick, with whatever it may be, do so as unto the Lord so that you say, you know what, I don't want to be the type of person who idolizes the blessings of God. I want to honor the name of God by being generous because He's been generous to me with anything with anything, with your time, with your resources, with your finances, whatever. Just be generous with it. And here you have an example of Ruth saying, I'm going to step into a context here where I'm confident that the Lord has been taking care of me, and I'm going to take some steps of faith, and I'm going to trust the Lord to provide for me, even though I consider myself a foreigner in this land, and undeserving of God's blessings. And so you have Ruth now stepping out saying, I'm going to find a place where hopefully a landowner will show me favor and I'll be able to glean there. So keep in mind what this took from her to be able to be willing to do this. She was willing to experience rejection from these landowners because again, maybe they would honor Leviticus 19, maybe they wouldn't. So she was willing to experience rejection from them, Um, She also recognized that some might just rebuke her attempt to gather in their fields. Maybe they would say, we have enough poor here already. Go to a different field because there's already enough poor people gleaning here. You got to go somewhere else, right? Or here's the other thing, and this comes up in the passage in more than one way. There was a real risk that she could be endangering her physical well-being by putting herself in the proximity of harvesters who may have been men of low character and may have been prone to assault a lovely young woman who visited the fields they were working in was a very real risk that Ruth was putting herself in. So finding the right field to glean in and not being assaulted while doing so. And by the way, keep in mind, this was during the era of the judges. And what does the book of Judges tell us about the character of people during that era? It was low. People were involved in all sorts of unhealthy and unwise things. And so finding the right field, not being assaulted while doing so, These were forms of divine favor that Ruth would need to be able to trust the Lord to supply if she was going to succeed in her mission to find food that day. But God did supply. And in fact, by the grace of God, I love what it tells us in verse 3. I don't think I have a slide for it here. Let me see. No, I don't. All right. Um, In verse 3 of Ruth chapter 2, by the grace of God, the scripture says this. Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Think about that statement for a second. Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So, that statement from Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, I actually find it somewhat entertaining to see when you're reading this portion of scripture, when you're reading this story from the perspective that God was providentially guiding and directing Ruth's life. The reason she came to this field was the same reason that she was able to, or, or willing to follow Naomi from Moab to Bethlehem. And the reason she came to this field and the reason she followed Naomi was one thing, in my opinion. The Spirit of God was leading Ruth. The Spirit of God was leading her. The Spirit of God was telling her where to go. He was putting ideas in her mind. He was pointing her in the direction that she should go. And we could also see ways that he was preparing the way for her. Because the story of her loyalty and the story of her kindness to Naomi, it had already filled Boaz's ears. He knew of her good reputation. And the Lord placed it upon his heart to show her abundant favor that would be a reflection of the favor and compassion that the Lord delights to show to his children. So not only did Boaz allow Ruth to glean in his field... He also insisted that she not go anywhere else. Did you notice when he said that? He said, don't go anywhere else. You're welcome to glean here and don't go anywhere else. And he also gave her a place among his other trusted women. He said, I want you to stay with these women. I want you to basically count yourself one with them, these other women who gleaned there. He also made a point to go to the men who were working in the field, and he instructed them, keep in mind he's their employer, He instructed them, don't touch her. That's what he said. Do not touch her. Now, how do you think his face looked when he said that? Do you think that was just like casual? Like, and you know, while you're out there working, don't touch her. I have a feeling that it was very fatherly or grandfatherly as he looked at these young men and he said, don't touch her. Do not touch her. And then he also insisted that she drink from the water that his servants had drawn whenever she thirsted. He said, I want you to drink from... The My servants have drawn this water. I want you to drink from that water. Now, could you imagine being Ruth when these, these things were being inst- uh, told to her by Boaz, as these things are being revealed to her, that he has taken care of all these things and that he's going to provide for her in this way, he's going to take care of her and all of this. Because keep in mind, the backstory that we're told in chapter 1 is that in recent days, she had become a widow. And then after becoming a widow, she left her country and now she moved to a foreign land. And she's desperately trying to gather enough food for herself and for her mother-in-law to be able to eat. But now she's being told by this wealthy, powerful, respected landowner that her needs are going to be provided for and she was going to be protected while she was receiving that provision. The scripture reveals to us that Ruth was overwhelmed with gratitude and she expressed her thankfulness with a great demonstration of the relief that she felt when you look at verse 10. It says, then she fell on her face. Don't you think you would would possibly do that? If you were her in that context, keep in mind, do you ever go through a long season where it feels like you're running on fumes, where you kind of want to break down, but you know you have too much to do to break down, you know, where you're just like, I'm like, I'm destroyed right now and somehow I just have to make it through this week or somehow I just have to make it through this month. Do you ever do that where you look at a schedule and you're like, if I can just make it to this day, then I can have like a moment of... Respite where I just allow myself to break down a little bit. I think at this point, Ruth's been holding on and holding on and holding on. And then finally, she gets to this spot where this wealthy landowner looks at her and says, All your needs are going to be met. You're going to be physically protected. Even if you're thirsty, I'm going to make sure you have water to drink. It's all good now. It's all good. Everything's taken care of. And all the things you've been worried about, you don't have to worry about anymore. It's all good. And it says, then she fell on her face. I just don't want to skip that statement because I think this is just her finally, just that release happening in her body where she's just saying, all right, all this tension I've been feeling, all this anxiety I've been feeling, I'm just letting it go right now. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Like, why? Like, this is just beyond good. And that's the way she responds. And I wonder, when you think about the nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ, I wonder if we ever experienced or expressed that same kind of relief to Jesus who has done the very same thing for us? You know, can we say that we've come to a place where we're just overwhelmed with gratitude for the favor that He's shown us and the provision? that we've received from him, even though we once lived as his enemies, even though we once lived as foreigners to his promises. And here's the thing. Every one of the blessings that Ruth received in the natural sense, when you look at this portion of Scripture, it actually parallels a deeper, eternal blessing that we've received from Jesus. I don't know if that caught your eye when we were going through this portion of Scripture. But think of it. There's at least six things here that it demonstrates that we've received from Jesus... That each of these things are parallels of. First of all, we've been pointed in the direction we should go. So, just as Ruth was being led to a new land and then to a specific field within that land, so too is the Holy Spirit leading us. He isn't leaving us to figure out life on our own. He steers every heart that's submitted over to Him and He points us where we're called to go. And to those, that he wants us to interact with and meet along the way. The Lord's doing that. He's sovereignly directing our lives. He's sovereignly pointing us in the direction that he wants us to go. Something else that we see, the way has been providentially prepared for us ahead of time. So just as Boaz was made aware of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, and he became predisposed to show her favor, so too is the Lord preparing the way for us. He's orchestrating circumstances for our benefit. He's orchestrating circumstances for our care, and he's causing hearts to be favorably disposed toward us for the purpose of fulfilling his redemptive plan for humanity. Something else we can see in this portion of Scripture is this. We're encouraged to not go anywhere else looking for spiritual provision. So just as Ruth was told, don't visit another field. Don't go to another field. So too, we are encouraged not to glean from the idols and from the false gods of this world. No one can satisfy our hearts like Jesus. Every other field will leave us hungry. Every other field will leave us empty. Don't go anywhere else trying to find spiritual provision. Something else that I think this scripture can illustrate for us is this. We've been given a new place among a new people. So just as Boaz insisted that Ruth be included among the young women that he trusted, so too have we been made a part of a new group. Our common union to Jesus Christ through faith also unites us to one another. I'm united to you, you're united to me because we share a common union with Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we are grafted into a new family. Scripture refers to as the church. A lot of times we make reference to the building being the church. Obviously, it's not. It's the idea of this people that the Lord has assembled from every tribe and every nation. And because of our common union with Jesus Christ, we're also united to one another. Just as you can see Ruth being told, hey, go among my trusted women, and you can glean with them. Safety in groups. Something else scripture illustrates for us is this. We're being protected from the one who seeks to harm us. So just as Boaz instructed the men working in his fields not to harm or assault Ruth, so too are we being protected from the one who ultimately wants to harm us. Satan is active in this world. Now, I know that that's an understatement. I know that you can look and see many different examples of the activity that Satan is accomplishing in the midst of this world. And one of the things Scripture reveals to us is that Satan seeks to devour anyone he can. But what we know that Jesus has done is he secured the, the ultimate victory over Satan when he rose from death. Scripture reveals to us that that same resurrection power, we see this in Romans chapter 8, that same resurrection power has been granted to us. And we will not ultimately be defeated by sin or Satan or death if we are united to Christ by grace through faith. One other thing that I think is worth pointing out, and it's a very special parallel, I think. Our deepest thirst is being satisfied through no effort of our own. So just as Ruth was invited to drink from the water drawn by these men who worked for Boaz, so too are we invited to have our deepest thirst, the deepest thirst of our souls, satisfied by Jesus. He has done the hard work of paying for our sin. And now he invites us to share in the fruits of his victory— and share in the fulfilling satisfaction that comes from a relationship with Him. And I just want to finish up this morning by pointing our hearts to John chapter 4. Because in that portion of Scripture, you have Jesus in a context where water is being drawn, and they're talking about thirst. He makes a, con- he makes a comment about this concept of thirst, and he says, All right, you know what? Our minds tend to be overly focused on natural things. When we think of thirst, we tend to think of of physical water and being satisfied by it. But he said, you know what? There's a deeper thirst, the thirst of your soul. As Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he makes a statement. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's what Christ is offering you and me. He's looking at us and he's saying, listen, I recognize that you're thirsty. I recognize that you're anxious. I recognize that in the midst of this fallen world, you're looking at all sorts of things and you think, oh, maybe that'll satisfy me. Maybe that'll satisfy me. And even we as believers in Christ can fall prey to that. I've certainly fallen prey to that. I'm certain that you have as well. It's a struggle that we as human beings wrestle with, and that's why we need these reminders. And Christ is saying, no, the only thing that's ultimately going to satisfy the thirst of your soul, it's not going to come from something physical. It's not going to come from perfect circumstances. It's not going to come from natural water. He's saying that he alone can satisfy the deepest thirst of our souls. And each week we have the opportunity. One of the things I love when we gather together on a Sunday morning and we look at what the Scriptures tell us, in some ways we have the opportunity to look at that as the theme of our week. We're starting off our week and saying, all right, what's this week going to be like? And the truth is none of us knows the details of what we'll experience in any given week. That's not revealed to us. We know what we think will happen, and we'll find out in a week if that's actually what did happen. But one of the things that I do know is that Christ is with us in the midst of everything that we experience. And we've been the recipients of a divine form of favor from him that obviously we don't deserve. And a huge aspect of that favor, that blessing that he shared with us, is the fact that we don't need to go through this world like thirsty men and women. We could go through this world with the deepest longing of our soul, the deepest longing of our hearts, satisfied once we know Christ He desires to satisfy that. He desires to convince us that the things of this world are not going to satisfy that, that he alone can. And so I just want to challenge us to let this be the theme of the day and the theme of the week. I want you to just say to yourself, I can find satisfaction for my soul in Jesus. And in fact, it may even be better to say it this way. The only way I will find satisfaction for my soul is in Jesus. Christ illustrated that in John chapter 4, and even when I look at the things that were taking place in Ruth's life and the ways in which the Lord was showing her favor and some of the circumstances that are foreshadows of deeper realities that we could see in her story, I see the reminder there that ultimately it's the Lord who satisfies that thirst. And it's not about earning it, and it's not about working for it, and it's not about deserving it. He did the work for us. Just like those workers drew the water to be sharing it with Ruth, and she didn't have to draw it herself. That was hard work, drawing water, so that you could satisfy your thirst. And what Christ is saying to us, he's saying, listen, I've already done the hard work for you. All you need to do is trust me. Stop trusting whatever you've been trusting and start trusting me. That's what Christ is inviting us to do, to trust him. And he will satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and for the fact that you love us and you do so many things in our lives that when we observe these things, we're, the only thing we can really do is say thank you because we know we didn't earn it. We know we didn't deserve it. This wasn't something that we could look at and say, oh, this is because I'm such a good person or... The Lord has providentially directed my life because I deserve this in some way. That's not how it works. Lord, you you look at us. We were foreigners living apart from you, and you drew our hearts unto you. you. You caused our eyes to notice you because we weren't naturally looking for you. We were focused on ourselves. We were focused on getting the best of this world. We weren't focused on you. We weren't thinking about an eternal kingdom that we have the privilege to be part of. And Lord, we know that that's the issue that mankind throughout generations has been wrestling with. But Lord, we're so grateful for the fact that in your Son, Jesus Christ, the desire of our souls, the thirst of our souls finds ultimate satisfaction. Father, you know the hearts of each and every one of us gathered here today. You know that that we wrestle with a lot of things. You know that at times we're tempted to go in directions that are unhealthy and unwise. And we're tempted to attempt to use The things of this world to somehow satisfy a spiritual void. But Lord, we know that ultimately, the only way for that void to be satisfied is through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, if at this point right now, any of us feel distant from you, we pray that through your Son, we would approach you. We pray that we would seek restoration and forgiveness of our sin and reconciliation through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has done the work to accomplish that on our behalf. Father, thank you so much for satisfying us. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for giving us all the things that, naturally speaking, we did not deserve, but we find them in you, and you've given us hope beyond our present circumstances, and we're grateful for that as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these encouragements and these reminders from your word today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.